moment, we're going to get jump back into John chapter 6. So if you have a Bible, open it up to John chapter 6, and I'll read through that scripture with us. But last week, we looked at the story of Jesus feeding a hungry crowd with uh, just five, five loaves and a few fish. Um, Matt opened that up to us, and uh, he's asking me to, to keep the mic up here close, so I'll, I will try to, try to do that. Um, and he opened that up to us, and it's interesting because Jesus does that for a couple of reasons. One is, he's, we're going to get into that today, he's, he's hearkening back to the story of Israel. He does that, he feeds 5,000 just men, including their wives, including their children, could have been 20,000 people gathered there. He feeds them from just a few loaves and fish. Then he does this miraculous thing, uh, just right after that, he walks on the water. He, there's a storm, and the disciples are out at sea, and he walks on the water. And uh, he's doing that very specifically for a reason. We're going we're gonna to find out why this morning. But if you're in John 6, I want you to open it up and read along with me this morning. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in he, me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Let's pray. Lord, we, we read these words. Um, we read these words in the context of, of this miraculous event that you had done 2,000 years ago. And Lord, we're not only standing in this morning in awe, but with expectation that in the places of our lives where we hunger and thirst, that you would continue to do your work, continue to be present, continue to provide. Lord, we pray you'd give us this bread that never spoils, and this water that never causes us to thirst again. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you look at the verse that we just read, Jesus tells us, basically, why he did the two big events that he had just done. Why did he 
show up around the time of Passover when there were perhaps millions of people gathered coming to Jerusalem to celebrate this biggest event that they had. Why did he feed 5,000 people? Why did he feed 5,000 with a few loaves and fish? Why did he then walk on the water? Why did he walk across the water and cause the storm to be stilled? He's telling us these things, and he's doing these things because he wants the people to understand who he is. Passover celebrated the greatest event that the Israelites had ever experienced. Passover was the time in which they gathered together to tell the stories, to relive the events, and to sit with expectation and with hope about what God was going to do. This was the time, this was the big feast for them throughout the year. And for the first century audience, for the people that Jesus is talking to, not only the disciples, but all of the people who gathered around on the hillside when he fed them, all of the people that were then searching for him because he had fed them, were searching for him because he had performed all of their miracles, had, had healed their sick, had taken care of all of the things that troubled them. They were searching for him. And Passover was the time in which they gathered together and they looked for this person that Moses had talked about coming. And part of what they did during this Passover feast was they broke bread together. They gathered together and they broke bread. They were celebrating not only what God had done during the Passover, but they were celebrating it together in communion. And breaking bread was this deeply symbolic act of fellowship. It was also a way that they cemented a covenant in the first century. Whenever there was a marriage, there was a big feast, there was a wedding feast associated with the marriage. And so people would break bread together, they would share a meal together in in kind of cementing this this covenant relationship together. And there's an interesting story in Genesis chapter 14 where the breaking of bread actually talks about um, ratifying a peace agreement. Remember, there's a, there's a king by the name of Melchizedek. Now, we've heard about Melchizedek not only from the Genesis story, but in Hebrews chapter 7, when Jesus has said he's, he's a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek is, is, is an important figure during, this is kind of during the time of Abraham. And Melchizedek is, is drawing together all of these warring kings, all of the kings around the region that were at war with one another. And he was drawing them together in order to bring peace to the region. It's interesting to me that several thousand years later, we are still in need of someone drawing together the kings and the leaders of the regions around the world to bring peace. Melchizedek does this. And what he did when he brought them together is he broke bread with them. He, he, he initiated relationship between them. So breaking bread with someone was a metaphor of not only an intimate relationship, but of peace and of friendship. Many of you would recall the story in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, when it talked about the early church and what, what did they do. They met together often for the apostles' teaching, for fellowship, for the breaking of bread, and for prayer. And this is how they practice their face, their, their face. 
this is how they fed their face, but this is how, <laughs> this is how they practiced their faith. They devoted themselves to breaking bread. They devoted themselves to a common meal for sharing what they had together. And they did it in the context around a table where everyone was welcome. And during this time of Jesus saying, I am the bread of life, this is what the Jewish people were doing. They were gathering together as a community to remember their story. To remember how God had delivered them. And they would gather and they would break bread together and they would remember God's faithfulness to them. They would remember the power that was displayed through Moses when he parted the Red Sea and they crossed over into, into out of slavery and into what would become the promised land. They would remember God's provision by breaking bread, but also telling the story. You remember when God gave us the manna from heaven? Remember when God provided every day, it just showed up. And, and even on Friday, two days worth showed up so we didn't have to work on the Sabbath. Do you remember the story? Do you remember the time? This would center them in the story of the Passover. 2,000 years later, they were still telling the same story. It was the most important story to tell if you were an Israelite, if you were if you were a Jewish person in the first century. And they would center themselves in the story of the Passover and they would break bread together and they would talk about the, 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 the stories that Moses told from Deuteronomy, like Deuteronomy chapter 18 in verse 15 where it says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet from among you who is like me. This is Moses talking. Moses is saying, The Lord your God will raise up a prophet, will raise up a person like me among you. And someday there's going to be another prophet who's going to be a Messiah, a, a Savior. Just like Moses had saved the people and taken them out of captivity, taken them out of slavery and into freedom. And so for thousands of years, Jewish teachers interpreted this passage that a Messiah was going to come in or around the time of celebrating the Passover. So picture first century, perhaps a million people gathering together, sharing a meal, celebrating these stories, and celebrating the stories with the expectation that the Messiah is going to come. That was the talk. That was the buzz. That was, that was what people were excited about. Is this going to be the year? Sort of like Gonzaga trying to win the national championship. <laughs> Next year, Lord. <laughs> when will the new prophet come? When will the Messiah come who's going to set us free? When will this person come who's going who's to dethrone all of the powers around us and set us up in our right place? So that all the world will know that we are the people of God. And at no other feast was there such a high level of messianic expectation, that messianic expectation that the Messiah was going to come than when the families gathered and broke bread together. And they talked about the Passover lamb, and they talked about 
what God had done, passing over their homes by putting the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. And they talked about fleeing in the night, and they talked about how God provided for their needs as the, as the Egyptians just gave them gold and gave them all sorts of things so that they would be prepared to go. And they talked and they talked and they talked and they wondered, is this the year? Is the Messiah going to come? When will this new prophet, who is the Messiah, come to set us free? That's why what Jesus had done was so important. Because those were the things that Moses had done. When the people of God were were stuck between the Red Sea and Pharaoh's armies charging up behind them, God had to do something big. And he told Moses to pick up his staff, and and he, he provided safe passage through a place that shouldn't have been safe. And when they got into the desert and their shoes didn't wear out, and there was a rock that just kind of followed them around and provided water for them to drink, Two million people, that's, that's, that's a pretty thirsty group, I would think, right? And yet water just sprung up out of the rock. And bread fell down from heaven. And even when they grumbled, they got a little bit of meat too. So much so that they got tired of the meat and just wanted to go back to the manna. So when Jesus shows up on the scene, and not only is he performing miracles, not only is he doing great things, not only is he healing the sick, not only is he raising the dead, he's feeding the people in the desert. And he's calming the sea. And for them, that had to turn on the light bulb in their head. They had to question that, don't you think? Who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? And Jesus, in the passage that we just read, he says, you know, you're coming to me not because you, you understand what it is that I have done and understand what it is that I am going to do. You come to me because I gave you some food and you're hungry and you want some more pretty human, isn't it? I, I would have to say that I, I have reacted that way in many times in my life. Wanting more. Not understanding what I had, not understanding what was available to me, but wanting more from the things that I thought was going to provide satisfaction, that I thought was going to provide my fill. And they asked that question, who are you, Lord? And he says in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. He's telling them who he is. He's telling them why he came. 
He's asking them to look beyond their circumstances and look beyond their own thinking and to begin to realize who is standing with them. Who is walking with them. I am the bread of life, he says. In other words, I'm the one you're looking for. I am your Messiah. For thousands of years, you've been gathering and praying and feasting and acting and wishing and wondering if today, if this week, if this year is the year in which the Messiah is going to come. And Jesus stands there and he says, I am he. I'm the bread of life. I'm the one the prophet spoke of. I'm the one that Moses was talking about. Matt talked about this last week in the, in the Greek language, the, the verb phrase. It's, it's the verb to be that is used. It's the same verb that is translated when God is revealing himself to Moses in the Old Testament. Ego a me. Matt, Matt kind of parsed that out for us last week. Isn't it interesting that God reveals himself in the verb to be? Not in the verb I do? Because so often our thinking, our, our religious thinking at times, causes us to think, what must I do to have eternal life? What must I do? I got to follow a set of rules? Do I got to look a certain way? Do I have to dress a certain way? Do I have to act a certain way? What must I do? I just want the list, Lord. That's what the Israelites were doing. You know, the, the, the leaders, the Pharisees, the, the Jewish religious establishment, they would have 613 laws of the Torah that they would try to keep in order to, to, to remain righteous. Because they got stuck on the what must I do and they just forgot that God said, I am. I wonder if that's happened to any of us. That God is, I am. That God is the God who is. He's the God who loves. He's the God who cares. He's the God who understands. He's the God who knows what each and every one of us this morning is going through. Some filled with joy, some filled with pain, some filled with expectation, but God knows because He is. And He says to Moses, back before they were even taken through the Red Sea, when the burning bush and God revealed Himself to Moses, and He said, who are you, Lord? And, and God said to Moses, I am, I am that I am. Moses said, well, I, I need to know who you are because I'm supposed to go and tell Pharaoh who you are. And he says, well, tell Pharaoh that I am has sent you. And I'm thinking, eh, that's not super helpful. I, I don't get it. I mean, I understand Moses' predicament there. Not just that the burning bush didn't, didn't, wasn't consumed. Not just that the bush that was burning was talking to him. Not just that the bush that was burning was telling him what to do and giving him the power to do all the things that God had called him to do, but he gave us this name that is hard to understand. So they're working through understanding this. They've seen God work. And maybe you're here this morning and you've seen God work. And God has worked in miraculous ways in your life. 
But right now you're at a place where you're just wondering, who are you, Lord? And God wants to say, I am. I am. I, I know. I understand. And I am. And this is the first of the seven I am statements that John is going to share with that Jesus is going to share in the Gospel of John with us in the weeks ahead. The weeks ahead. I think we have a list of the seven I am statements. So he says in John 6, the passage we're talking about this morning, I am the bread of life. In John 8, he says, I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. I am, I am, I am. And sometimes God continues to tell us who he is in our lives because we get a hard time, we have a hard time understanding who he is. What, not only what he's done, but what he wants to do. Seven times in the Gospel of John, and only in this Gospel. And he begins these statements just after he's fed 5,000 and he's calmed a storm. Because he wants them to know who he is. Jesus was the answer. The word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. And what is the only response to I am? It's to fall down and worship. That's what Moses did. In the story of the Exodus, when God revealed himself to Moses, God told him to take off your sandals because the, the ground that you are standing on is holy ground. And he bowed down and he worshiped. And when we worship, we worship because of who he is. Because the place where we are standing, even this morning, is holy ground. And understanding who Jesus is, when we understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that human history has been longing for, the only response from each of us is to worship the I Am. I, I love how he's a God who is who is holy. He says, take off your sandals because the place where you stand is holy ground. And I love that. But I also love that he is a God who wants to know you. He wants to, he wants to know me. He wants to know you. He wants to know what you're feeling. He wants to know who you are and, and what you care for and what you fear about and what you long for. He wants to know you. He's the I am, but he's also bread. He's also just this simple, universal symbol of sustenance for all of humanity. There's probably not a civilization, maybe except for the Philippines, where they pretty much only eat rice three times a day, every day. There's not a, there's not a, there's not a 
a civilization that has not seen bread as, as a life-giving substance. He's the I am. He's also bread. He is powerful and mysterious, but he's also deeply, deeply personal. And what's so unique about Jesus is that he brings these two things together. The power and the majesty and the mystery brought together with the humanity and the care and the intimacy of a God who is willing to become a man, willing to come down for each of us. He's the I am, and he's also the bread of life. He's the God who created all things, but he also came down to his creation. He's the God who calmed the storm. But he's also a God who cares about us when we're hungry and we're thirsty. There's a lot of things we hunger and thirst for. And in the culture that we live in today, it's usually not bread and water. It's usually all the other things that choke us out and make us feel like we're not full and we're not satisfied. And Jesus said, I am the one who cares about you when you're hungry and you're thirsty. And so the question that I think this passage asks us this morning is this, what do you hunger and thirst for today? What are you hungry for? What are you thirsty for? We're going to share a meal together, and so that will take care of the, the, the physical hunger pains, perhaps. But what are you really hungry for? What are you really hungry and thirsty for? That's the question that this passage asks us. What is it that at the core of your being, you are crying out to God? Maybe not out loud. Maybe these are in the deep and quiet places. You're crying out to God and you're saying, Lord, I'm hungry. I'm hungry for this. I'm hungry for deliverance. I'm I'm hungry for expectation. I'm I'm hungry and thirsty for all that you have for me. What, What is that? Because that's why Jesus came. He said, I'm I'm the one who satisfies. I'm the one who can fill you. I'm the one who can provide for that need. I'm the bread of life, the one that gives life that anyone who comes to this bread of life can experience true life. Anyone. Not based on who you are, but what he's done. Not based on what you do, but who he is. Let that sink in for a minute. Anyone who comes to him, to this bread of life, can experience true life, can experience abundant life, can experience eternal life. And it's as simply as believing in Jesus. That's what he says. Do the work of the Father is to to believe in the one whom he sent, to believe in the Messiah, to believe in Jesus, to believe in what he came for, to believe in why he hung upon a cross and died and was resurrected and and now 
is available to us through the Holy Spirit. To believe in Him is the only thing we're asked to do to experience eternal life. Believing in Jesus, following Jesus, experiencing Jesus, knowing Jesus, loving Jesus, receiving the bread that has been given to us because He is our life. He is the bread of life. And I want that life. Do you? Let's pray. God, our heart runs after you this morning. Lord, I just declare you are my God. Early in the morning, today even, I, I, have, I, have, I seek you. My soul longs for you. My flesh thirsts for you. In a dry and weary land, I, I look at the news and it's a dry and weary land out there. I'm thinking about the people that are in the Ukraine who, who, who have real subsistence needs, Lord, for, for just daily bread and water. Lord, hear their cries. You came to us, Lord, and you said, I'm the living water and I'm the bread of life. I'm the one that you are searching for. So Jesus, this morning we just declare that you are everything. You're what we need. We need more of you. And so, Lord, we just want to receive you today. Disciples, you know, where, where can we find this bread, they ask. And you said, I am the bread. Whoever eats of me and drinks of me will never die. Whoever believes in me will be filled. So, Lord, fill us and nourish us and satisfy the longings of our heart. Set us free from anything that is holding back. Lord, we receive your grace this morning. God, we pray this in Jesus' name.